Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the God whom he calls Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned out in its infinity. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. The most excellent study for the expanding of the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in its immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning. Spurgeon speaks this before a message. Now, these two parables that we're about to read this morning ask us to do exactly what Spurgeon has asked us to contemplate. They invite us to a deep contemplation and understanding of the immeasurable value of the kingdom of heaven. The joy of knowing Christ, the joy of his benefits and his gracious offer of salvation to all who are lost. So look with me in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. And this is our contemplation of the divine this morning. Jesus is speaking. He is alone with his disciples in a house. He is pulled away from the crowds and he is now encouraging his disciples. They have been watching for, as we would say, 13 chapters. They've been watching the kingdom of God played out right before their eyes. And now Jesus takes them into a deeper contemplation of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Father, your word is life to us, for it is you speaking to us. Thank you for speaking to us through this passage this morning. And may our eyes be opened and our ears hear. May we, may we receive from you 
the truth of what you are saying and submit to the authority of your divine sovereignty. All that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So alone with his disciples, Jesus is continuing to talk to them about the kingdom of heaven. He's taking them beyond the defeat of Satan, lepers being cleansed, demons being cast out, and the dead being raised. Now, in these two parables, he shows them even more about the kingdom of heaven, a a kingdom of joy that demands everything from those who want it, and he shows them its immeasurable value to those who find it. The relevance of these parables to the disciples is clear, especially in view of their having left everything behind to follow after Christ. Jesus tells them to find the kingdom of heaven is to find the one treasure that surpasses all things in life. These are two stories about treasures. Now, buried treasure and priceless discoveries are the stuff of popular movies and stories and sometimes sometimes even our own dreams. Who here hasn't dreamed about discovering some fortune at a yard sale or an antique shop or someplace like that? Now, the two parables that we're going to read, let's look at the first one, the parable of the treasure, 1344. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, understand that the practice of hiding valuables in the ground was common in this time. Common because there were no banks or public places to to put your money. Most people protected their valuables by hiding them in the ground. If you remember the story of the talents, that man hid it in the ground. Palestine had been a battleground for centuries. So people would take their valuables to protect them and they would bury them and hide them from invading armies. And over the years, the grounds around Palestine became littered with treasures. Over time, though, landowners would either die or they would be captured or they would in some way lose their land or have it just passed on. And the new owner would not be aware of the treasure. So understand, this is not a story. Jesus is not telling this parable. It's not a story about the ethics of finding a treasure and giving it to the landowner. That's not what this story is about. And in fact, in rabbinic law, any valuable found belonged to the finder. Kind of a possession is nine-tenths of the law kind of an approach. Finders, keepers. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the approach. If the landowner had known about the treasure, he certainly would have taken it out before he sold the land. If the man finding the treasure had been dishonest, he would have taken out the treasure and not bought the field. So Jesus isn't describing an ethic here. No, he's, he's doing something more. He's going far beyond that. He's talking, his point is about the treasure. Now the parable of the pearl in 1345 and 46 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had. 
Here we have a merchant whose job, whose livelihood, whose career is to search for fine pearls. And in these ancient times, pearls were as valuable as diamonds are today. And like those who search for exquisite diamonds, this merchant searches for the one exquisite pearl. And he knows pearls. He's a, he's a merchant. He's an expert. And after what appears to be a long search, he discovers one. The one that is worth more than any pearl he has ever seen. And it's not some massive pearl. It's just this one fine, tiny pearl. The one pearl that, that so far surpasses all the others that he has ever found that he sells all that he has, every possession he has to own that one pearl. It is the discovery and search for treasure that, that makes programs like the Antiques Roadshow so popular. That's, that's what makes them exciting. Some go into an antique store and unexpectedly discover a treasure like the man in our parable, while others spend their time searching for the one valuable item like our merchant. How they find the treasure is not the important point. It is the treasure itself. And these two parables, here in these two parables, the real treasure is Christ represented by the kingdom of heaven. So in these two parables, we see three things. We see the joy of finding the kingdom of heaven. We see the immeasurable value of the kingdom of heaven. And we see the sacrifice needed to have the kingdom of heaven. If you want a title for this message, it's a bargain at any price. That's the title of this message. Now, the joy of finding the kingdom of heaven. A treasure has been discovered. Read, I read a story about a, an older couple in the United Kingdom who had been visiting a museum. They were visiting the display of Ming Dynasty vases. They were, they were going along, and as this older couple looked at the vases, the husband looks at the wife and says, We have one just like that. I was going to make a lamp out of it, drill a hole in the bottom. We gotta, and so they went home. They brought it back to the museum, and sure enough, it was worth millions that they had been, they had. They didn't realize it. They just fell upon it. They discovered it like this man. The man who found the treasure hidden in the field was not looking for it, but when he did, his joy was unmistakable. The joy of finding the kingdom. Think of the joy that this couple experienced realizing they had this priceless vase sitting in their home, Soon to be a lamp with a hole drilled in the bottom of it. But there was joy in this man who was just walking through a field. Just discovering that a discovery that in, it was unmistakable in his joy. He's, and so he goes and he sells everything he has for that treasure, a treasure that would literally change his life. It was not necessary now for Jesus to say that the merchant was joyful when he found the pearl of great price. That's just easily assumed. That's something that, that we can assume. He, he also found a treasure, a pearl of great price that also changed his life. Now, what is, what is Jesus 
communicating and teaching to us in these two parables. He's describing the joy found in the gospel. He's describing a treasure beyond comparison of the gospel. And the question is, how how do we find or discover the gospel? Do we just stumble upon it or, or do we search for it? And the answer is both. But not before there is a work of God, a work of the Spirit in our hearts. Like the man who stumbled across the, the hidden treasure, some, some are not looking for Christ. We see a number of those examples in Scripture. Paul in Acts 9 is not looking for Christ. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16 is not looking for Christ. The woman at the well in John 4 is not looking for Christ. They were not looking for him, but he came looking for them. Opening their eyes to the immeasurable joy of salvation. The merchant was different. He was seeking a pearl of great value. And there are those who who we would know that have, they're seeking meaning, some meaning in life after some understanding of God, but there still needs to be a work of the Spirit and grace in their hearts. I have a friend recently who, he's, he's a searcher. He reads philosophy books. He, he's, he's, he's aware of God. And a number of months back, as he was going through a difficult time, he called me. And, and he, he's not a belie- he was not a believer. He called me and said, hey, can we just get together and talk? And I said, sure. So we, we met at a local restaurant. And two weeks later, he came to faith in Christ. And the, the immeasurable joy I see, we meet every Thursday now for coffee as I am discipling him. And the joy on his face. And without fail, every week, Tears come to his eyes as he talks about what God has done for him. But he's not the only one. We read in Scripture about the Ethiopian eunuch, Zacchaeus, Cornelius, and Nicodemus. When they saw the gospel, it transformed their lives and it brought joy to them. Listen, apart from a work of the Spirit opening their hearts and their eyes to Christ, neither of the men in these parables would see the kingdom and find the joy of the treasure or the pearl of great price. And so it's a work of God that brings about joy, that shows us the kingdom of heaven. The joy and the treasure of the gospel is our salvation. It's a work of grace that Jesus has done in us. And that is why the kingdom is such a treasure of joy. Jesus has met us in our greatest need, atoning for our sin. Atoning for our sin by bearing the punishment we deserve for our sins and our failures. He places us in his kingdom, his family, because we now belong to him. And now we experience The joy of coming to know Christ. That's it. That's what he's showing his disciples here. There is a treasure they now have in Christ. It is far greater than any treasure they would ever know in their lives. It is the only joy they will ever experience that lasts. And the same is true for you and for me. 
The kingdom of heaven is an eternal joy because it is Christ himself, the eternal God. So the first thing we see is joy in finding the kingdom of heaven. Second, the immeasurable value of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, both these men saw its value as so far surpassing anything else that every possession they owned, they sold to, to obtain what they did not have. Being in God's kingdom, friends, it compares to nothing else. It's, it's an utterly priceless experience and of greater value than anything else we have in our lives. There's nothing in this world that compares to its beauty and its worth because there is nothing more valuable and glorious than Jesus Christ. Knowing the Savior and all the benefits of his kingdom, a kingdom that is unfading, that is undefiled, that is imperishable, and that's being kept in heaven for you, guarded by God himself on your behalf. Now, how much do you value the kingdom of heaven? How often do you consider the glory of your salvation? How grateful are you for your salvation? The key to a grateful life is knowing what you have. That's the key to a grateful life. It's knowing what you have, what, what these men had. They had the treasure. They had the pearl of great price. They sold all. That was the key to their joy and their gratefulness. The value of God's kingdom far exceeds the earthly riches we might have, even when earthly riches will bring us some level or degree of satisfaction. Jesus offers his priceless kingdom to any person, no matter who they are, whether you're poor or rich, exceedingly sinful, you're insignificant, you're famous, or you're unknown, he offers to all. Klein Snodgrass, in his commentary on the parables, says this, all of life is seeking after value. Sometimes we find value fortuitously, and sometimes with great effort. But often our sense of value is skewed. We need to aim higher. Our relationship with God is the most important part of life. All our other pursuits are trivial by comparison. If the kingdom is present, radical response is needed now. If the kingdom is worth all we have, then joy and celebration should accompany our finding and involvement with the kingdom. The problem with most is that we would like to have like a little kingdom as an add-on to the rest of our lives. This parable urges us to abandon what we thought was the focus of life and focus entirely on what God is doing with the kingdom. Now, sadly, the immeasurable value of the kingdom is not obvious to all. And not something naturally everyone seeks after. For many, the value of the kingdom remains hidden. They walk by the treasure hidden in the field, the treasure of the gospel, and ignore it. Some simply reject it, and others, which are not aware, just have no clue. And that's why we share the gospel. I know a man who once discovered a treasure that I kept in my attic. Unknown to me, 
Marilyn sold my comics at a yard sale. She asked $10 for those comics, and the guy offered her five. She thought she had a great bargain. She did not know the value of the treasure in the attic. I could be retired today. (laughs) We're glad you're not. What? So many saw Christ and did not see a treasure. What disturbed them about Jesus was when they saw him, they saw an ordinary man, not someone who looked like a king. He didn't wear royal clothes or surround himself with a powerful army. All they saw was a failed teacher. And nowhere did the kingdom seem of least value than when Jesus was nailed to the cross, hanging there in agony and in shame, suffering and bleeding and then dying. This was the complete opposite of what should happen to a king. Our culture doesn't understand why we value our salvation so highly. They don't understand why we willingly live by the ethics and moral standards that go against worldly desires and drives. The the way of the kingdom, it's narrow and it is unattractive to the unbeliever. And it's why so many sadly go through the wide gate The treasure and the pearl's value is not evident to them. And so many turn down the priceless gift of the gospel that is offered to them. They don't see the eternal value of saving grace, but are only interested in finding some kind of happiness in something, in some temporary offering of life. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19 is the classic example of one who saw the kingdom but not its value, and refused to surrender to Christ. Brothers and sisters, listen, it is only by grace that you and I have perceived the kingdom's great value. Only by grace that you discovered that treasure in the field, that you stumbled upon it, and God opened your eyes by the work of the Spirit to see the value of the kingdom of heaven. How kind He is. Consider all the priceless benefits that you have in Christ, because it will make you grateful remembering and knowing what you have. We are forgiven. We are adopted into His family. We are pardoned from all our sins. We are clothed in His righteousness. We're joined to His church. And most wonderfully, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God Himself who promises to never leave us nor forsake us. This is why 1 Peter 1, 3-5 has so captured my heart. It describes the value and essence of the kingdom of God, the wonderful treasure we have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to find that treasure 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. To see one day the ultimate expression of your salvation. The ultimate expression of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel fully revealed in all its glory. Because the gospel is not a concept. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And that's who you will be with when you, on that final day, when you breathe your last in this world, you will stand before God the Father with an advocate next to you saying, he's clothed, she's clothed in my righteousness. They're mine. That's the value of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, of knowing Christ. And all this is ours now, but there's, there's just more to come. So much more. The value of Christ's kingdom will be fully experienced when we die. That's worth noting again and again, because what awaits us is, is Christ's triumph over everything that works against us now against our joy, against our happiness, against our peace, against our faith, all the trials and sufferings and disappointments and betrayals and sadness that we face, all of that Christ triumphs over. Jesus will destroy all that troubles and attempts to defeat us in this life. All is cast aside when we enter heaven and live in his presence, the kingdom that is matchless and valuable. The joy of finding the kingdom, the immeasurable value of the kingdom, and thirdly, the sacrifice needed to have the kingdom. These two men showed their determination to obtain the treasure and pearl by selling everything they owned, everything that was of greatest value to them. And what Jesus asked his disciples is, are, are they willing to give up everything for the kingdom? It really is. It's a picture of our response to the gospel. Renouncing everything that would be a hindrance to, in, to obtaining the immeasurable treasure of Christ. Now in both parables, the object was bought at the expense of every possession, the finder own. And Jesus is not teaching here that salvation can be bought. That's not what he is saying. In the parables, the physical and the earthly are used to illustrate the spiritual and the heavenly. So in these two parables, the transaction of buying, buying these treasures, represents the spiritual transaction of us surrendering to the gospel, our surrender to Christ. There's an exchange in salvation. The old is passed away, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, the new has come. There's an exchange there. We exchange our filthy rags for his righteousness. The sinner gives up all the worthless things he or she has freely all the worthless things she is, they've, they've, they've owned. 
all the priceless things that God has given to them in Christ they receive. What we give up in no way pays for our salvation. Actually, to the contrary, what, what we give up is just worthless. Only Christ's payment for our sins purchases our salvation. But the true believer, the one willing to sell all they have for the kingdom of heaven or to buy the pearl of great price, the one willing to do that by surrendering their old way of life, that is the one who is a follower of Christ. Now Jesus repeatedly tells us particularly here in Matthew's gospel, that the cost of discipleship is high. In Matthew 10, 37, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and willingly, unlike the rich young ruler, we sell all we have to gain the eternal. The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And no one, no one who is a genuine believer who has experienced the transforming grace of God will ever look back and think that wasn't a very good bargain. Oh no. Oh no. No. The, those who, who know where their treasure lies, they will joyfully abandon everything to have it. Martin Luther had it right when he penned his hymn, A Mighty Fortress. He said, let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. Now, he did not think for a moment that salvation was purchased, but he was determined that nothing, that nothing, even, even life itself, should keep him from the kingdom of heaven. Now, that was, that was Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony in Philippians 3, he writes, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's willingness. That was Paul's sacrifice for the kingdom of heaven. Salvation costs nothing in the sense of us paying. But it is everything in the sense of our surrender. Jesus could have not made that truth clear that the person who will not surrender their old life will not experience new. Everyone, everyone in this life has something they treasure most, that they consider the main object of their affection and their joy and their attention. And Jesus asked whether that treasure is temporal or is it eternal. If it's temporal, it means We've yet to surrender all. So 
The question is, is there anything that you haven't surrendered to Christ or his kingdom? Are there any sins or sinful desires that you secretly hold on to? Are there any bitternesses or past hurts that you hang on to? Or anger at past betrayals? Or just a love of money? Or a, a joy finding joy in lust or fears of not being in control of the world rather than the sovereign one or just a selfishness demanding a life that you think you deserve. The list is on and on. I could go on with a list like that. But the point is, it must be surrendered. And the way to surrender is simple. It is a gospel truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. When we treasure the kingdom, brothers and sisters, when we treasure Christ, our lives are transformed. We will be seeking God, meditating on his word, praying, giving thanks, bearing the fruit of the spirit, patience and peace, kindness and gentleness, joy, self-control, goodness and faithfulness. We'll, we'll live by gospel standards and we'll be willing to make sacrifices to live out our biblical convictions, proving that the kingdom really is our supreme treasure. Now, most of us would be quick to say that any person who discovers a treasure in any form and then walks away from it is a fool. Sadly, many do that with the gospel. The gospel is preached. It's shown to be the answer for life and eternity. And yet, despite that truth, despite that immeasurable value, despite the joy that comes with it, millions simply walk away and continue in their spiritual poverty. Now, that might be you this morning. That might be you. Maybe you're just walking by the treasure and you're ignoring the gospel. And God, in his sovereignty, in his providence, has you here to learn about the treasure that awaits. If your eyes are open to this treasure today, to the treasure of Christ and the kingdom of heaven, then, then be willing to give up everything for that treasure. Be willing to surrender And put your faith in Christ. Now, if you're a believer, don't lose sight of the treasure you have of Christ himself so that your gratefulness will grow. Listen, the key to a grateful life is knowing what you have. Knowing what you have. And the Lord has given each one of us. Let's proclaim we're a part of this church. Let's say we are followers of Christ. He's given us so much. What a treasure, brothers and sisters. What a treasure each friend is here to you. What a treasure it is to sing and bring honor and glory to God. What a treasure it is to participate together in the Lord's Supper which is what we will do in just a moment. John Stott writes that there is a materialism which tethers our hearts to this earth. Now, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament that we participate in each week to help 
keep us tethered to Christ. To remind us of the treasure we have in being a part of the kingdom and sharing in this life and being reminded of the life that is to come, being eternally in His presence. So as we, in just a moment, begin to participate in the Lord's Supper, let us be untethered to the world and tethered to Christ. Father, thank you that you have tethered yourself to us, that you have brought us into your kingdom, that you opened our eyes and gave us this great joy of being a follower of your son, of opening our eyes to the value of the kingdom of heaven, and even giving us the strength and the wisdom to understand what it means to surrender all to you. What a gift that is to each one of us. And Lord, as we, as we are gathered here today, we state as a church, we surrender to you and to your kingdom that we might live lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.